Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for this Thursday. Coming up, the TTC losing money to Uber and Lyft. We'll tell you how much. Plus, new a new Ryerson study that is out today sees a rural boom as remote work becomes more and more permanent, and how you can stay fit at home. All of that coming up next on the podcast. And a very good afternoon. Happy Thursday. It is February the 11th, also known as Decision Day. Education Minister Stephen Lecce will let us all know in roughly an hour from now if there's going to be a March break this year. Not sure if this will factor into the decision or not today, but the COVID caseload, how about this, below 1,000. We're below 1,000, yes, 945 new cases, but, and yes, there's always a but, as you know. Uh, Toronto Public Health saying that their data, incomplete. Incomplete data. So we are under 1,000 with, once again, a bit of an asterisk or a star next to it, 945. Having said that, the seven-day rolling average is now 1,264, which is down from roughly 1,600 last week. So some good news when it comes to the caseload today, albeit with a caveat, and the seven-day rolling average, uh, both trending in the right direction. So let me ask you all, what do you think we're going to hear an hour from now? What do we think? Uh, Are the kids, what do you say, Mary, are the kids, are they going to get a March break, yes or no? I say everybody gets the March break. Everybody who's involved, you know, the kids, the parents, the teachers. You know, you kind of uh, sound like kind of uh, Oprah right now. You get a car, <laughs> and you get a car, and you get a March break. <laughs> yeah, everybody gets a March break, yes. That's what I say. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm kind of feeling that as well. Uh, Robert, if you were a I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. They're not going to, they're going to, they're going to cancel it. Really? Yeah. What is wrong with you? I'm not saying that. I I think they shouldn't. I'm just saying I'm thinking like Stephen Lecce and they're going to cancel it. Yeah, I kind of feel as if it's a go. And here's why. Because there is some sentiment out there right now that, uh, you know what? The kids need a break. Teachers need a break. Parents need a break. I mean, to Mary's point, we all need a break, right? We need uh, a week off, a week away from all of this. And I think there is kind of a, a thought out there that the kids have been off since basically Christmas, right? Since the holiday break, and it's been all of January, and now half of uh, February. Finally going to get back in uh, next week uh, and the week after and the rest of uh, Ontario. And, of course, you're in the GTA and the hot spots. But you can't forget that all these kids have been doing in-class learning. The kids have, the parents have, the teachers have this whole time. So it's not just like it's been... Everybody with their feet up. I mean, there's been actual learning and work going on, like, you know, the rest of us, you know, doing our jobs uh, remotely, a lot of people. So, Mary, you know, there's been a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of sweat, a lot of toil going on. So I think, yeah, the, the case can be made that everybody just needs a bit of a breather. Yeah, and to your point, Jeff, I mean, uh, not just heads down and then grinding through it, but learning new technology, figuring things out. How does everybody work from home, learn from home? Those who are not working from home, not learning from home, how do they factor into the to the, uh, the domicile, whatever that is, you know, whatever hey, you call home? Um, I think everybody just, you know, would be really happy to have a break, have a reset, which is one of the things that I think a lot of people uh, – you know, look forward to with March break. I'm sorry. What was that domicile? I think I better go back to in class learning. 
Oh, you're home. Whatever you call home. <laughs> like it. All right. We will carry the education minister's uh, comments when they happen again about an hour from now. You will get the decision and you will hear it right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. In the meantime, the pandemic, of course, has affected so many things in our lives, so many businesses. The TTC continues to struggle as a ridership obviously down significantly due to the pandemic and, you know, the lockdown order and people not moving to and fro and are going to work as much. And adding to the TTC's woes is a new report that says Uber, Lyft, ride sharing in general has also been substantially cutting into TTC revenues and profits. And for more on this, we're joined now by Brendan Agnulier. He's with Ridefare Toronto, and Brendan joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Brendan, how are you this afternoon? Very well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, first off, what exactly did this study find? Just how significant is Uber and Lyft carving into public transit and the TTC's revenues? Uh, well, we, we first of all, we took existing public numbers. These are from studies from the City of Toronto and ridership numbers from the TTC. And what we did is we did the analysis. We determined you know, what proportion of Uber and Lyft uh, passengers would have taken transit otherwise, according to the city. And we, we, we estimate that about 31 million public transit users were diverted onto ride-hailing apps. This is pre-pandemic numbers. And based on an average fare of $2.35, that corresponds to about $74 million in lost revenue. This is before the pandemic. Um, as we return uh, now to uh, as we reopen society, we can imagine it'll, it will only get worse. Okay, I want to ask you a bit more about that in a second here, but this is really interesting, the fact that uh, you polled people who are using ride-sharing that say they otherwise would have used uh, public transit. Do we know the reasons why they were choosing ride-sharing? Um, I, I can't speak to that. And to be clear, those numbers were generated by the City of Toronto. Those aren't our numbers. We just did the analysis. Okay. Um, but we know that number is consistent uh, across United States cities. They've done similar studies. About 40 to 60% of ride-hailing trips um, were diverted from transit. And in, in cities that had the best transit networks also lost the most riders. So there's clear from the patterns of data we have across the continent that Uber and Lyft mostly take their trips from transit. And we're calling on our city leaders to really do the studies and understand what's happening in Toronto so they can make smart policy decisions. Okay, what is this study, in your estimation, telling us, though, when it comes to ride-sharing and public transit? I mean, is this proof if there's $75 million in possible revenue being left out of uh, coffers, public uh, coffers in the TTC, do we need some sort of regulation when it comes to ride-sharing? Well, the city, city, as a matter of course, uh, sets regulations for vehicles for hire in the city. That's its job. Um, it sets the numbers of vehicles that are allowed to be in service. It sets conditions for training and for safety and all these things. That's its job. There, and it will continue to do so. What we're saying is that since the city really last looked at the impact of ride hailing, the data has evolved. We have more information. And we started with this misconception that transit and ride hailing were complementary. What we're saying is that they're not. So as the city revisits its policies, it really needs to 
to understand this. So right now, we just really want to motivate people to do the study, do the analysis, and get that understanding. Okay, why are these two, public transit and ride-sharing, why are they not compatible? Is it just a matter that uh, we are, at least pre-pandemic anyways, with uh, ride-sharing? I think just cursory people have been, uh, had been noticing that there were just more cars uh, on the road uh, than ever before. Is that one of the reasons why public transit and ride-sharing really don't uh, kind of equate? Yeah, there's, there's absolutely an issue is that as the streets get more congested, that transit is less desirable. But again, ride hailing is driving that congestion. The city of Toronto, it says that ride hailing is responsible for around 8% of congestion on city streets. Imagine if everybody on the streetcar on the bus were in private vehicles. You couldn't fit 200 more cars on the street to replace a streetcar. The city would grind to a halt if we switched to uh, private vehicles for everything. So. You know, the city needs to really think through how best to use our public spaces and how to build a, you know, a transportation mobility system that works for everyone. And what about the money? $75 million out of any business is a pretty big hit. I mean, that $75 million that's now going to Lyft and Uber instead of maybe public transit or the TTC, how is that changing things for the TTC and the city in the way that uh, we could possibly be running public transit? Uh, that, that That's a really good question. Uh, right now, you know, the... The city is estimated it, uh, you know, it still has 800 and something million dollars uh, revenue hole to fill this year, and it's going to other governments to look for help. The TTC will face another nearly 200 million dollars shortfall this year. We think, you know, that I think we have a responsibility. Our governments have a responsibility to really understand transit's role in the marketplace and what it's doing to attract riders, and what city policies are actively diverting riders from transit. We need to, we need we need to understand it. Absolutely, it's a huge issue. All right, and just finally, uh, Brendan, you mentioned this a second ago about uh, ride sharing post pandemic, and as we begin to come out of lockdown and slowly lift some uh, restrictions, particularly in the GTA and here in Toronto. I mean, is there a sense that ride sharing will emerge from this pandemic as much of a force as it was pre-pandemic? Or do you think uh, maybe the pandemic's going to adversely affect a ride sharing or maybe this is the jury's still out on this? Uh, it's definitely uh, the jury's still out. But anecdotally, I know a lot of people are afraid to go back on public transit because of their exposure to other people and exposed in, in the enclosed spaces. The fact is that transit, public transit, you know, managed correctly can be one of the safest ways to get around. Um, there's very little oversight on ride hailing because they're, but in theory, private vehicles. We don't know if they're being cleaned. We don't don't know what supports are in place for drivers to put, you know, protective equipment in place. All of these things. Um, we really need to, you know, like I said, research it, understand it, figure out what we can do for people to be safe, and make sure that as we set patterns of, of, you know, how we move around afterwards, we're doing the right thing for our own health and safety, but also, you know, for our city in the long term. Yeah, because I think there's a big question as to uh, whether or not that hesitancy when it comes to public transit, maybe even in-house dining when restaurants uh, reopen, people going back to uh, concerts, the same thing is going to apply when it comes to uh, ride-hailing services and whether or not people, at least initially, are still going to feel safe getting into what is basically a stranger's vehicle, not knowing, to your point, has it been sanitized correctly, the ventilation, uh, has the driver been recently tested for COVID, that sort of thing. Yeah, all these things, you know, we really need to look at it and understand it. You know, with everything COVID-related, we all have a lot to learn, and information is moving fast, and it's important that, you know, we, we understand it and we educate each other. Absolutely. And, Brendan, thank you for educating us here this afternoon. Appreciate the oh, time pleasure. and the uh, discussion. Thanks so much. Take care. You as well. Brendan Agnelier is with Ride Fair Toronto.
Okay, we were talking about this yesterday with the company Salesforce saying that the 9 to 5 workday, 9 to 5 is dead, never to be seen from or heard from again. And what sort of impact that just might have on our downtowns? I mean, could that possibly turn, uh, you know, Toronto, which is, you know, become a bit of a ghost town, even into more so of one? Well, yes, says a brand new study just released from Ryerson. Jessica Thornton is with the Brookfield Institute for Innovation. She is one of the lead authors of the study, and she joins us now for more here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Jessica, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right, first off, tell us a bit about the study and uh, what you're calling or seeing as a bit of a, a rural boom that will continue. Yeah, absolutely. So our study called Yesterday's Gone is looking at a range of trends with the potential to impact the future of employment in Canada. And so in that, we outline eight uh, mega trends as well as 34 related trends that we should be paying attention to. And then some of those trends are exactly that, about looking at the potential for seeing a rural boom in the coming years uh, in its relationship to a move to more permanent remote work for some workers. All right. And what is one of those uh, biggest trends that's pointing to this possible uh, boom? Is it just what we were talking about a second ago regarding Salesforce, that nine to five is maybe over with remote work and some shape or fashion is here to stay? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, according to Stats Canada, 40% of workers shifted to remote work with the pandemic. And while employers, you know, about half of employers say that they intend to, you know, go back to in-person, half of them are saying, actually, no, we're going to do things differently. And so some examples of companies like Salesforce, but also Shopify, for instance, has announced that they're going to go digital by default. And so, you know, in the the move of these companies committing to being virtual means that workers are starting to say, all right, well, if that's the case, where where should I work? If I can participate in this job from anywhere in the country, then, you know, you start to wonder about what that means. And so with, you know, the increasing housing affordability challenges that urban areas such as Toronto have, you know, it's starting to push many to think, well, maybe maybe I should go further afield. And especially with a growing desire to be close to nature, given sort of the safety that we've seen with that in terms of um, pandemic and being able to social distance, you know, that's becoming increasingly important. Not to mention many workers needing more space so they can have a home office, which maybe your, you know, bachelor downtown apartment uh, in Toronto maybe doesn't offer. And so that's really driving that push that we see could result in a boom in rural development. Yeah. Do you think that this is inevitable, that this is underway and will just continue? Because there is some debate as to uh, whether or not the remote working arrangement will uh, stay for the long term. Some companies may be not trustful of their employees if they're not under their quote-unquote watchful eye, but it seems to me that maybe the positives, the pros here outweigh the cons. I mean, you just talked about what workers at home are enjoying and, you know, enjoy the uh, freedom of maybe being outside the city and a little more space. And it also really does add up, I think, Jessica, for a lot of employers, if they can reduce uh, their office space and their rent costs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a range of factors being weighed right now, as well as, you know, there are some concerns about employee engagement in this new remote setting. So, you know, I, I think a lot of employers are looking at new ways to to support and, and uh, foster productivity. So it's, it's one of those considerations. Unfortunately, we don't have a crystal ball in our study is more looking at a few different signals that show, you know, we could go in one direction or another because there is a very interesting, you know, some employers saying, yeah, we can we can save some money. We don't need this office space. And others saying, well, you know, but I'm not really sure that this is the experience my workers want. So 
I think there'll probably be some medium space where you see some companies opting for, you know, remote first, but then also still um, fostering that collaboration in person as needed. But it might, you know, translate to one day in the office versus five days in the office. But we'll see how that plays out. Sure. What does this mean, do you think, for a city like Toronto? If we see less workers here, less office space, uh, less people living in the uh, downtown, I mean, is that going to drive housing values and housing prices down and uh, rental prices? And then I think we've got to look at something like uh, the tax base uh, as well. If there's fewer people here, are taxes eventually going to have to go up? And uh, we know that governments on every level have been really spending uh, during the uh, pandemic. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, and, you know, despite the fact that we're seeing more and more people, you know, leaving cities to, to buy property elsewhere, the, the, the market still in Toronto is, you know, hotter than ever. So I think in many ways it's signaling that there's still demand and interest in living in urban settings. I think if we do see more and more employers, you know, support remote working, you know, cities are really going to need to think about the experience they're providing for people so that it is a place that you want to live in favor of maybe, you know, being out further with, with access to nature and those other amenities. But again, you know, many different factors playing into that that could that could impact it very much. I think, you know, already downtown vacancy rates in other cities such as Calgary is something that people have been paying attention to and really trying to think about how can how can you can attract business and people to live in cities and definitely some some challenges ahead, but not to say that Clearly, given um, signals from the rent, the retail, the the housing market, there's still a higher, high desirability to be in urban areas. Really, Jessica, at the end of the day, I live downtown. Uh, I just want to know, my taxes, they're going up, aren't they? I mean, unfortunately, I can't comment on that. No crystal ball here. I wish I, I wish I could tell you, but, you know, I think we're... You know, this study doesn't necessarily uh, dive into municipal finances, but I think we all know that there's some challenges there ahead. All right, Jessica, really appreciate you breaking this down for us and appreciate your time with us today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. All right, stay well. That is Jessica Thornton. She is with the Brookfield Institute for Innovation and one of the lead authors of this new study just released from Ryerson University, which indicates that uh, this rural boom that we've seen during the pandemic looks like it's going to continue for the foreseeable future. And today on our continuing health series, the importance of physical fitness in maintaining your overall health during the pandemic, especially tough as the gyms, of course, have been closed. And for more on this, joining us now is George Chaker. He is with Sweat and Tonic Gym and joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. George, how are you? Jeff, I'm well, thank you. How are you? Well, I am okay, but I'll be honest, I've been more about the tonic than I have been the sweat as of late. So (laughs) I'm glad you're on and can help us all because I think one of the big things when it comes to maintaining your physical fitness at this time with the gyms closed is kind of keeping or getting uh, motivation. Uh, Agreed 100%. So how do we go about that? How do we uh, either keep our motivation or reignite it again? Uh, Is it something about maybe setting a specific uh, goal trying to achieve uh, that how can we really motivate ourselves to work out at home when we don't have a gym to go to right now yeah i think uh, the first thing is to reassess your schedule and understand what your new schedule is like Um, maybe you're not waking up as early as you used to and you know you can start your day a little bit different Um, so that's one of the main things is really carve out and make it part of your schedule don't just try to fit it in Um, make it you know, something that you're going to do as part of your day and put it into your schedule so you're accountable. 
Um, the next part would definitely be making sure you can carve out a workout space or create a workout space, just like you've created your in-house uh, office. You need to sort of create a little space where you can do your workout and get exactly what you need, but put everything you need there, meaning have your towels, your water, your mat, you have resistance bands or gliders or dumbbells or anything of that sort, have it all in that corner so it's accessible and you know that that's where you're going every time you're going to go work out. You know, George, I think that is so key because it's so easy, as we know, to blow off a workout. Any little excuse will do. And if uh, one of those things is I got to set a whole gym up, or you're, ah, forget it. I mean, you talk about resistance bands. I think we have to take uh, any form of resistance uh, out of the equation as best we can when it yeah. comes to working out at home. <laughs> of course, but, you know, it, it's also about movement. So it's not necessarily about saying you need to have these things. Right. The truth of the matter is, is movement in itself is going to help you through this, uh, especially with regards to mental health. Right. If you're just waking up every day and trying to figure it out and get through your day, you're not really setting yourself up to succeed. If you're getting yourself set and you know what you want to do and what you want to accomplish, and you part of that is your actual movement or workout, you're going to see that you're going to feel a lot better and you're going to be much more productive than than probably the ups and downs of the roller coaster ride of, of you know, staying at home and, and trying to figure it all out from home. And, you know, I think that is so important. I'm glad you use the word uh, movement and uh, just get moving because uh, I was one of these people, you know, roughly a, a year ago when the gyms first uh, closed down, I was kind of left a little bewildered, to be honest with you. I mean, what am I going to do? How am I going to work out? Uh, I let it go for a few months. And really, I just kind of had to get my head around a different way of working out. You don't necessarily need all of that equipment, all of the barbells and everything else you got used to at the gym. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So part of this whole idea of training is starting by training your mind to think differently, right? Because the first is, oh, I don't have all this stuff that I had at the gym, so I can't work out because I can't work out the way I work out there. You really have to reprogram yourself to say, okay, what can I do? What's going to be best for me? And then how can I get access to this? And, and so, you know, just like everybody else, you know, the, the industry has had to pivot um, and, and figure it out. And you've probably seen that, you know, on Instagram, you have all kinds of workouts or YouTube, you have all kinds of workouts. But then it starts to get a little bit dicey because you're not quite sure who you're following. Um, I would always recommend that you look for some expert guidance, um, look at companies that are putting out workouts or are doing live kind of stuff. At Sweat and Tonic, we have two different ways of accessing uh, our in-home clientele. There's what we call Sweat Live, which is you actually participate in the class that's going on live at that moment, meaning with the instructor and, not, and you're doing it from home. And then there's the other option, which is called Sweat on Demand, which is probably the best choice for a lot of people because you can then access videos from a library at any time that works for your schedule as opposed to you trying to create a schedule. I think in the end, it really depends on the personality of the person. Some people like to have it all scheduled and know that their workout is coming at 515 and they're going to see their favorite instructor, even if it's on their television or on their uh, tablet or their computer. Um, but others have a much more difficult sort of line of schedule. So they might benefit a lot more by going to an on-demand platform where they can just access their workouts whenever they need them. The one, I would say the second one's a little more dicey because it does allow you to sort of flow through your schedule 
and you really have to be on top of it. The first one, you're a little bit more accountable because you know you've signed up for the class like you've done in right. your regular classes, and you want to be there. Yes, and thank goodness once again for technology. How many times have we said that during the uh, pandemic, whether it be a FaceTime, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, keeping us all connected at work, or as you just described, the digital fitness business. It has really boomed. Your industry has really pivoted and pivoted well, and that's a great example of that, particularly people that love that class environment, right, and want to feel as if uh, it still gives them a feeling of belonging to a class, and i, I got to show up. Correct. And and there's so many methods to look at, right? Like there's workouts there that are like based on one song and you can just like put songs together. And and, and so I also say that if you're not having fun or at least finding a way to play along and and create play, then obviously it's just going to be really tough to want to stay on top of it and continue it. But if you start to realize that you can play around with the movements because nobody's really watching. So if you, you know, if the instructor's doing a lunge and you want to dance lunge, you can. <laughs> you can dance like nobody is watching and you can enjoy yourself to the fullest. And so that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about what's happened here is there's been much more of a push towards enjoyment of movement and not so much about you must work out and get to these goals right now. You know, it sounds like what you just described, George, like I accidentally left my camera on during my last digital uh, workout. Working out like nobody's watching. (laughs) George, really appreciate uh, the time. Thanks so much uh, for this and the great information. Thank you very much. You have yourself a healthy and happy day. Thank you. You as well. George Caker there with Sweat and Tonic Gym.